today's sermon continues in our selfish versus soul-filled. You got two choices here, selfish or soul-filled. This ongoing sermon series, and the last couple Sundays we've talked about prayer and learned about prayer. We learned about prayer in dark times with the sermon from two weeks ago called At the Edge of Despair as Psalm 13 and God's inspired message through David taught us the three main moves of dealing with having to pray, being healed in prayer, even as we face dark times and even at the edge of despair. Last Sunday, kind of the, the core prayer on, on the issue of prayer, the sermon on prayer called Addressing the Almighty. That's last Sunday, and I commend those sermons to you. If you miss those or need to go back and review those and connect those with the sermon today, this is the third of three Sundays in the midst of this larger series, Selfish versus Soulfield, specifically on prayer. Now, we're continuing next Sunday to talk about the issue of forgiveness because it is so central uh, to knowing, loving, believing, and following Jesus to being saved and living out a Christian life, forgiveness. So we'll talk about that next week also. This is the answer to part of that issue, though, of forgiveness, because frankly, how do I even begin to forgive? And the clear answer from the scripture is, at the heart of the matter, is prayer. So prayer leads into a continuing discussion. And actually, the scripture that will refer to the children next week, we will go to, excuse me, today in the children's sermon, we'll go to next week, uh, Matthew 18, and the parable that Jesus tells in connection with what we are to do and how we are to forgive as Christians. Today, prayer for forgiveness. Prayer for forgiveness. And we're going to begin with a couple of scriptures uh, from the New Testament. First, we'll turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 7. This is the central beatitude among the key beatitudes that Jesus gives in the opening of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And Jesus opens with some beatitudes. And at the middle, he says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then we'll go to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Now, we were at this passage last week, uh, dealing with addressing the Almighty in prayer, and we continue picking up today at, at verse 9 as Jesus begins to teach how we, as disciples of Jesus, should pray. Pray then like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, most of us will know those words very well. We may 
repeat those words often in prayer and worship and in our daily lives. Well, what is the point, Jesus? Where is Jesus going with this? What is this prayer and this teaching of discipleship all about? Let's read the next couple of verses. What's key to understanding the essence of what Jesus is teaching us about gospel and prayer? Four, verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And then on to Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus commanding his disciples during Passion Week, during Holy Week. Hear the command of our Lord Jesus himself. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, occasionally when you stand praying, no, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. If you're here with us, you can follow along in the sermon notes. We'll post this for you as well. Or, or Reach out to us if you're listening online. We can get these to you. Follow along with the, the notes today as we move through what Jesus is teaching us about prayer for forgiveness and to be honest about what it means to be saved, to be born again, to be a child of God, a child of our Father in heaven, a child of the kingdom. Prayer for forgiveness. Jesus, and of course we will be remembering this in a especially profound way in just over two and a half weeks. Jesus, one Friday, uh, was betrayed and turned over uh, to temple authorities, uh, to the guard for the chief priest and the ruling elders of the Sanhedrin. He was arrested, chained, put in a pit or a dungeon for a, a period of time, early in the dark morning hours of, of that Good Friday. And then he was beaten. Um, he was further scourged. That means a multi-faceted uh, multi whip with skull pieces and glass and rigid and cut rock on it so that it would strip open your flesh. Jesus was scourged. Many people who were scourged by Roman soldiers died from the bleeding and the shock of that alone. And then later that morning, Jesus was turned over to be crucified. Jesus in great pain. Again, many people would have died from the scourging and the beatings he'd already encountered and, and that uh, crown of thorns that was crushed upon his skull, breaking open his, his, his flesh on his head. He, he was required to carry the cross beam 
all the way up to Golgotha. He needed assistance. You'll remember this. And, and then, you know, stripped and humiliated before the, the watching world and all his accusers and opponents, uh, the, the, the Roman soldiers who were about to cast lots for his outer robe and clothing, the, the Jewish people who were opposing him, the mob, some of whom a few days earlier had hoped that he might be the Messiah now that it kind of turned on him. And everybody is laughing and, and saying, well, this guy is supposedly the Messiah, the prophet. Let's see what happens. Let's watch the show. As Jesus, the very holy son of God, was crucified for your sin and mine, the scripture tells us that Jesus crucified on the cross, hanging on the cross, prayed this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know what he prayed? Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. Father, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? At the crucible of his life, and indeed through all his life, that is the way Jesus prayed. That is his gospel ministry for us. Do you know Jesus? Come to him. And I have good news for you. Even now, this very moment, God's word tells us this. Jesus is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? Giving up on us? Giving up on the people who harmed you? No. Romans 8, 34. He is interceding for us, not just for Martin and a couple teachers' pets. He's interceding for us. Prayer. We come to the reality of prayer. A lot of people talk all the time. Let's pray or I'll pray for you. Our thoughts and you'll hear TV commentators saying this all the time. Hey, thanks for that great interview and our thoughts and prayers are with you. I wonder how much prayer is really going on. But you know what? As Christians, we are called to be prayers. We've been talking about that for the last couple Sundays. We, we continue to be confronted and in turn inspired by what God is actually saying about prayer and what it means to live in communion with God through prayer. Oswald Chambers puts it this way. Prayer does not fit us for a greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not prepare us to do something great. Prayer is the great thing that we are called to do. Prayer for forgiveness. This is perhaps more challenging even than praying at the edge of despair, perhaps more challenging than the central way we looked at coming before the Almighty and understanding we are called to pray in Him, to Him, by His Spirit, by His Son. Today, prayer for forgiveness. First of all, I'm going to start off with a negative. You can see it in your notes here. This is A. Don't pray with clenched fists and a self-centered bitter heart. 
asking for forgiveness and deliverance at the same time. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus teaches us to pray that, that the Lord, our Father in heaven, would forgive us of our sins. And by the way, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And give us our daily bread. Even a very selfish person can say, okay, yes, I guess that could work for me. Let me over here in my total self-centeredness pray for my forgiveness and for me to get my daily bread and for me to be delivered from the devil because I don't want to mess with the devil. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let me teach you how to pray to your father, our father in heaven. And at the core of the matter, it's this. If I'm coming in praying with clenched fist, asking for God to help me over here in my selfishness and preparing to hit someone else with unforgiveness, my hands are not open to the grace of God. And in fact, what Jesus is saying here is that anyone who refuses to repent and release has never received Jesus. Because if your hands, if your hands are clenched in fists, your hands are not open to God. Now, I know that's challenging, but that is key freedom and truth in the gospel in Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing, too. If I try to play it both ways, hey, Lord, I've got a hand open to you, but my hand is clenched behind my back with my knife ready to stab the guy that I want to hurt. Jesus says no. And if my heart is clenched in bitterness and the cancer of bitter unforgiveness, again, we'll talk about this continuing next Sunday, but I am not praying. And God is not, sure, obviously he's omniscient, he can hear my prayers, but God's not going to heed those prayers. That's what Jesus is saying. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is very clear on part A. Now let's go to part B. What do we need to do? Open your hands and soul to pray mercifully. I mean, mercifully, okay? Full of mercy in God's ever-flowing mercy for your soul. Here's the good news. God has an ever-flowing river of mercy if you will open your heart to him, he will give you more than enough mercy, not only for your forgiveness, but for you to forgive others. And the truth is, if you have not repented and come before the Lord, you have not been forgiven. And here's the truth. If you can't forgive others, you're not born again in the spirit of God. Because his spirit, and we know this in Jesus, this is heart of the gospel now, comes to forgive sinners, comes to forgive those who are indebted to God. And if I have not received the reality that there's no way God should have forgiven me, then I'm not saved. Okay? To be saved means I'm constantly staggered by why does he love and forgive me and if he does oh thank you father i'm moving to forgive others okay so open your hands i mean get rid of this stuff open your hands 
and your soul to pray mercifully, okay? Full of mercy in God's ever-flowing mercy for your soul and for others' souls. So how do we do that? Number one, stop and lay your, unclench that fist, okay, and lay your hand on your mouth. Lay your hand on your mouth. That's the first thing you need to do. Wait a minute, I thought I'm supposed to say a bunch of stuff. No, 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 don't say anything. Don't say anything. Put your hand on your mouth, recollect, repent, and humble yourself, humble yourself, your soul, before God. Stop and lay your hand on, on your mouth. Now, I'm, I'm drawing that, of course, from Job. I talked about this last Sunday. Let me return to it again. What happens when Job is confronted with God and God's majesty? You remember how Job's like, oh, man, I can't wait to argue with God. All this stuff has happened to me. And then all of a sudden, God comes and God starts revealing who God is as the creator. And Job is totally humbled. And we get to this key point in Job. Job chapter 40, verse 4. When Job says this, this is Job 40, verse 4. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? Job is talking to God. Job is praying now. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. What does that mean? Well, Job is saying three things. First of all, I am nothing in your presence. I'm of no account. I have no merit, no leverage on you, God. Okay. Number two. Number two, I have no answer. This is a joke for me to propose that I'm going to get ideas going in your head, God, <laughs> that I'm going to persuade you. I don't have anything to say. So third, I lay my hand on my mouth. In other words, I'm going to be silent before you. Would you please speak to me, speak to my soul, and lead me to be renewed so that I can even begin to commune with you and talk to you. So first of all, unclench your fist and lay your hand on your mouth and be silent in the presence of God and come to him, actually commune with him. Uh, this is in the notes now, recollect, repent, and humble yourself. In other words, remember who God is and who you are. Repent, turn to him. And by the way, turn away from any bitterness and anger and unforgiveness you have. Turn away, turn to God and humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. Um, I've been reading the last week or so, returning to this, I just love this book. Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the great, truly great biblical works of the 20th century. It's by a Welsh doctor, medical doctor, who became a great preacher and biblical leader, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Basically, in the English-speaking world in the 20th century, two of the top three or four English-speaking preachers and Bible writers in the 20th century. You have John Stott and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Those two are both British uh, but his studies in the Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of that studies of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, if you want to make contact with God and feel his loving arms around you, 
put your hand upon your mouth. He takes us up in a whole discussion about how to pray and how all the great writers through the ages in the church, from the Western world, from the old Roman church, all the way through um, the last several centuries of great Protestant writers on prayer, talk about one of the keys being recollection before the Lord. So recollect, repent, humble yourself. James chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll lift you up. Do not speak evil against another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You cannot be with God and be unforgiving at the same time. So, number two, truly believe and pray to Father. Truly believe in the Father and pray to Him. Parents, teach your children. I mean, this is something that I think as, as children, we understand this even better. And then we get a little bit older and we, look, pray to our Father. Open yourself, your soul, and your hurts. Yes, I know we all have hurts. Some of us have severe hurts, far beyond what I've ever experienced. But open all of that to our Father and open other people's souls in prayer before the Lord. Go to the Father with their souls too. Pray then like this, our Father. Let me go back to Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love this statement that he makes on this. He says, the essence of true prayer is found in two words, our Father. He says, if you can say from your heart, my Father, our Father, your prayer is already answered. If you will believe, your prayers already answer. I mean, all of your prayers. Those two words, our Father, or, or, or my Father, our Father. As we said last week, let me return to it. Pray for one another. Ephesians 6, 18, pray for one another in the Spirit. We expand our prayers to others, brothers and sisters. James 5, 16, you know, pray for one another. Pray for healing for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when one part of the body is hurt, when one member is hurt, all are hurt. We pray for one another. When one rejoices, we all rejoice with her, with him. And then back to Job. Again, I mentioned this last week. Let me come back to it. What happens when Job's arrogant friends, you know, you read chapter upon chapter of them being half right and half wrong. Their theology sounds, well, it's kind of good, but it's kind of messed up. And all this kind of, uh, you, know, you know, you have been a great sinner. Obviously, there's no way God would let this happen to you. You need to confess. We need to guide you in this where you're better off brothers and sisters. So, you know, after all that arrogance, God comes and says that the friend's words have been an abomination before God. That's bad, right? And so then what does God tell Job that Job needs to do? God tells the friends, I'm not going to forgive you unless Job prays for you. And God tells Job to pray for the friends. What would you do? 
What would you do after hearing, you know, just hours upon hours, weeks, months, years upon years of people being higher and mightier than you? What would you do? Would you pray for them? Job 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for his friends. And then, let's stretch it a little bit further. Pray for your enemies. Matthew 5, 43-48. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, You've heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that, listen to this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do this? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, pagans, do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian who, of course, died in the concentration camp shortly before the end of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, this is the supreme command of being a disciple of Jesus, to pray for our enemies, even for our enemies. He says, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by our enemy, and plead for our enemy to God our Father. Now, you want to talk about moving from selfish to soul-filled, that is the move. I'm going to go and stand by my outright enemy, stand by him before my father and say, please, father, treat him better than you would me. Forgive him, forgive her. That's a calling. Now, let me clarify a couple things on this as we move to the third and final move of, of, of learning how to pray for forgiveness. And, and this is a couple things. Number one, this is not a quid pro quo. Jesus is not talking about a condition precedent, and Jesus is not talking about our somehow doing enough forgiveness to merit salvation or God hearing our prayers. That is not what Jesus is saying. In the scriptures, the sequencing is different in different passages from Jesus, from Paul, and from other parts of the New Testament. But what is being said in all of this is what I said at the opening. To be saved, to be a Christian, means that we're called, and God moves this in us, to repent and yield and surrender to Christ at the foot of the cross and at the foot of the cross, the ground is even. No one has any greater right on God's grace than anyone else, okay, compared to God, in, in relationship to God. It just doesn't work that way. And if I have not repented, 
I'm going to be unforgiving. But if I have truly repented and yielded and been born anew in the spirit of Christ, the great forgiver, if I truly am a child of my Father in heaven, I will begin to forgive. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the New Testament is saying. That's what God is saying to us. And if you say, I just, I just don't do forgiveness, I would love to speak with you and pray with you following this service. I'm sure you have been harmed greatly, and I do not diminish that. But I want to introduce you to the Savior and the Lord who will lead you in real healing. And his name is Jesus. He is the great physician. He is the great forgiver. You need to come to him. Don't worry about, well, I can't make myself do this. I know you can't make yourself do this. But you can be saved and set free in him and in his heart. So, again, third, how, how does this happen? Come to the Father through Jesus. Don't propose to come through yourself. And don't say, well, I forgave one person that I could kind of, you know, grit my teeth and do it or hold my nose and do it. And that's not the way you're going to come to the Father. Come all the way through Jesus, the Lord of saving forgiveness. Pray in his name. And to pray in the name of Jesus means to. It just comes automatically. He gives you this by his spirit. You forgive other people. Okay? To pray in his name. Now, I refer to this verse a lot in various theological discussions and even debates. And I know a number of my evangelical brothers and sisters do too. John 14, 6. But it's not primarily about making a theological point. It's primarily about living in communion with God, including praying to God. Listen to this again, this verse. Listen to it anew. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot pray to God the Father in real communion except through Jesus. Come through him and let us remember who he is. He is the one who on the cross prayed and prays now Father, forgive them, for they do not know. They have no idea what they're doing. So Jesus, the one through whom we pray, no, you cannot come to the Father, the, our Father in heaven, except through him. Jesus teaches us this. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If anyone, you mean that one? Yes, Jesus says, anyone. If you have anything against anyone, but you don't mean that thing, do you? Yes, Jesus says, anything against anyone. So that your Father who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Open yourself to him. Pray at the foot of the cross. Approach the throne of grace. You know how we approach in his name and by his blood. This is what Hebrews says. We approach the throne of mercy, the throne of grace, by Christ's blood, come through his blood. 
the one who has prayed and given the ultimate atonement for your salvation. Christian, be a child of God. Teach your children to receive and trust in Jesus and the Father and come to him all the way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.